This is the Groupfinity Podcast, episode number 40. Welcome to the Groupfinity Show, a podcast for leaders of volunteer organizations. We take the guesswork out of what works so you can focus on your mission, accomplish more, and get rid of administrative madness. And now, your host, who knows you are the 20% who does 80% of the work, Anthony Wilson. Welcome to the Groupfinity Podcast, no matter where you are and whenever you may be listening. Welcome back, Groupfinity Nation. Today, I'm speaking with Polly Lagana. Polly is a behavioral scientist who's been researching happiness for years. It's her life's work. Her formula is pleasure plus purpose plus community equals happiness. In this episode, we discuss her Spark framework, which we can all use to create happier donors who give more money more consistently and get others to give as well and join your donor community. The key takeaways from my discussion with Polly are, number one, make it really simple and reduce the amount of choices for your donors. Number two, people have short attention spans. Keep your ask and pitch to three minutes. Number three, have your best messenger deliver your message. And number four, this is the time to try new things. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear hold you back. Be sure to stick around until the end to hear what Polly learned while living in Switzerland for three years. I'll be back at the end to wrap it up. Here's Polly. Hi, Polly. How are you? Hi, Anthony. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so glad that you are here today. And we're going to talk about some fundraising and community building and all that great stuff. I'm really excited to be here. Your podcast is such a great resource for the community. So I'm happy to be part of it. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you so much. You started Community Spark Consulting to work with nonprofits to design effective solutions, fundraise, and evaluate impact. As a behavioral scientist, you've done interesting work around correlation between purpose and pleasure, as well as between happy donors and fundraising. It makes sense that happy donors will engage and donate more. It makes total sense to me. So tell us, how do we create happy donors? That's a fun question to answer. I will say, too, to speak to the point you just made, it does seem very intuitive, the idea that a happy donor will donate. But what I love to talk about with you today is what it really means to have a happy donor. What does happiness truly mean? And there's a framework that I've created, which I'll share with you shortly, that can give some very practical tips around keeping your donors happy. But before we begin, just to put out there this idea of happiness, it's something that people crave. It's become literally an industry right now, especially during the pandemic. Happiness is everywhere. And a lot of people are what I like to call chasing happiness, but not really understanding what happiness means. And so when we look at fundraising, and I think it's actually a really fun thing to do is to look at this intersection between happiness and philanthropy, because ideally you want philanthropy for your donors to bring joy. And that's something, as I mentioned before, people are craving in their life. And so as somebody who, as you mentioned, is a behavioral scientist, I like to focus on happiness and community, which is giving you a little spoiler about what's going to to come when we talk about happiness. (laughs) And this industry that's sort of a massive industry now around the world of philanthropy. And so To really break it down, the first thing I realized when I started Community Spark Consulting was I need to explain or re-explain to people and get us together on a common definition of what happiness means. And so you can find many definitions out there. And I've done all that work for you. I've distilled different research. And actually, while I was becoming a behavioral scientist, my mentor and the director of the program that I was in is a happiness expert. And so I spent a lot of time steeping myself in this idea of happiness. And I was living abroad at the time. And I will say 
in the UK and in Europe. Happiness is a focus of the culture, a focus of the government in a way I haven't seen in the United States. And so it was really interesting to be in, in, not in my home country, look at happiness with the lens of philanthropy. And so what I found through my own research and a combination of others' research is that there's a formula I distilled to equal happiness. And that formula, which may not surprise some of you, is pleasure plus purpose. And then my twist to it, my community spark twist is community, which is why it's in my name of my business. And those three things added together equal happiness. And so when we talk about pleasure, that one's pretty intuitive. But this idea of purpose, I think people understand that, especially I like to use the example of if you love your job, it's usually because the job brings you pleasure. And all of you listening are people working in public service or volunteering in public service that gives you a sense of purpose. And so when you put those two things together, many people talk about that's enough and that equals happiness. But I found in my research, there's also this third piece that people want to belong. They want to feel a sense of community. They want to feel like they're part of something. And this has really gotten heightened during the pandemic when we spent so much time alone. And so when you put these three pieces of pleasure, purpose, and community together and equal happiness, you take this formula and we can now put this into our world of fundraising. And how do we give this magic formula to our donors? And there are ways to do this. And that leads me into a framework that I've created, which I will say works especially well for smaller organizations, people who are new to fundraising, or people who maybe have been in it a long time and feel a little jaded. Because it's based in psychology, it's based in behavioral science, and some of it is based in instinct, but instinct that I've tested or seen others test. So there's numbers and research to back it up. And so I created Spark Framework as a tool that an organization can use. And you can almost use it as asking yourself questions about how you're approaching your donors and the goals that you're setting for them and the strategies you're using to either raise money, increase giving, or solidify what you've already created. And so SPARK, I'll give you a little teaser, stands for the S is the simplicity of the ask and the task. The P is the personal connection and community. A is alignment of goals, and that's goals between the donor and your organization or institution. The R is research and information guiding your decisions. And then the K is knowledge of a positive outcome. And so there's different pieces inside this framework. But if you use these pieces together, you can then help achieve this, like I say, magic formula of pleasure, purpose, and community and have happier donors which translates into donors who give consistently, donors who give more, donors who get others to give as well to join your donor community. I love that. Oh my God, that is fantastic. You just gave us so much right there. (laughs) The the first thing is this happiness expert. How do I get that job? I know, right? (laughs) So one thing that you said that I want to touch on is the simplicity of the ask. I think so many of us have anxiety around money and asking for money and, and getting rejected. How do we make the ask simple? Oh, that's a really good question because like you said, you're already digging into what I was going to say, which there's emotion behind this ask. There's emotion. There's, there may be nerves. There may be joy because you so firmly believe in what you're doing. There may be, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, lack of joy. I don't know if you've ever been. I know I've served on boards. I've worked with many community organizations. There's times I've been in fundraising pitches and the person standing in front of me looks completely unjoyful. And that is the yeah. sort of the least motivating thing 
to see. But then if you see somebody standing up in front of you, who's asking to give, who has a huge smile on their face, who fully believes in the mission of the organization, even if they're not saying it perfectly, that joy is radiating out of them. But it's a really good question, especially around the anxiety. And I think I'll address this in a few ways. The first one I could say about simplicity, we, especially as Americans, have major what we call choice overload. Every day in our life, we are faced with millions of small decisions. Everything from what phone to buy, the cereal in the grocery store, the way you go to work. And that creates this cognitive overload or cognitive dissonance that stresses you out. And not even to mention the the 300 channels on my TV. On your TV (laughs) that I still like the five remote controls I have. Exactly. Even turn it on. So one thing you can do as someone who's fundraising is make it really simple and reduce the amount of choices for your donor. Mm. So some of, and by the way, some of what I'm going to say is going to sound counterintuitive to all the things you've been trained in. So like, for example, you get that mail in the envelope or you open the website and six different amounts that you can donate or the other button. I'm actually going to challenge you to reduce things to threes Mm. because when you have six different amounts there and there's research on what the amount should be and where it should be, and I won't get into that for this conversation, but if you just even reduce the amount of choice, maybe it's three choices, maybe you even take away the other. And I'm going to caveat that by saying, unless it's really working for you. So if you find most of your donations, and that gets into my conversation on research and information, but if most of them are coming through that other, then maybe you need to switch around what's present there. But Mm -hmm. just this idea of keeping it simple, not making extra work for your donor. And when you talked about taking the anxiety out of it as well, that's also keeping it simple. You don't need to give massive amount of information to your donors at times. You don't need to give long pitches to your donors because the average attention span right now, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this, this, I don't actually know for sure the research, if this is a hundred percent true, but if you look now, there's research saying that humans have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Mm. Apparently (laughs) goldfish can pay attention for longer than us as of 2021, which is about eight seconds. Oh, that's hilarious. Whether or not this is true, our attention spans are shrinking. So you have to keep that in mind for donors. Keep it simple. Keep it short. There's a lot of training out there on doing the three-minute pitch, the elevator speech, the same things you learn when you're talking in an interview or talking about yourself. And keeping that in mind, simplifying the way you ask, simplifying the task, reducing the amount of choice can really make a huge difference for your donors. That's not counterintuitive to me at all. I totally get that. I think that a lot of times we do, we just want to be led. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'm in, I'll donate. Just tell me what you need. (laughs) But it's a little, and I'm happy to hear you say that because it's a little bit when you say, try just putting one amount, try putting two amounts, Mm -hmm. people get nervous. But what if they never do more than that? Another thing I would say with simplicity too, is we also often forget to look at our donor base and see what way are they mostly communicating? What are they doing most of their work? So for example, I had a client where she was young. She started a nonprofit and her donor base was young. And she was spending all this time on her website, designing this amazing website. And I said to her, are most of your donors at Legally Black Fund actually on your website? They're all on their phones. Mm -hmm. So you're making it hard for them to donate. They're pulling out their computer if you don't have your phone rendering really easily Mm -hmm. how to donate. If you have the small amounts, if you have your credit card saved in there, if they can just do it while they're on the go. And so also thinking about how is it rendering on your technology? What technology are they using? How can you make it as short and quick as possible? 
for someone to donate. Or if you're giving your pitch in front of a room full of people and you're telling them, take out your phones, do it right now. You have the piece of paper on the chair, you get the commitment. Then you don't tell them you'll send it later. Making it easy, simplifying the ask and simplifying the actual task of donation. So you also talked about personal connection and community. And I totally agree with you. I think that we've all been locked up in COVID, kind of removed from, a lot of that connection has been removed. And I think a lot of us are yearning to get some of that back. And so tell us about that part of your framework. Sure. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the framework because a lot of my research centers around community. And I'm actually the type of person who loves community. I recognize that about myself. So COVID was not my favorite time for many reasons, but also just that isolation, that individualization. So it it is interesting. And there is research out there that says the prospect of joining a community, having a community presented to you, whether or not you even actually join it, makes people happy. And you can look out in the world. There's communities everywhere. One of my favorite examples to give, I'm not a Peloton user, but apparently there's a hashtag shorty tribe for the Peloton where people who are not tall enough for the different um, setups on Peloton gather together. So you can find a community for everything. So when you translate this to fundraising, your donors want to feel like they belong. And so there's a few ways that you can create. There's many ways, but a few pretty simple ways. I'm all about making it simple, quick change for big gain that you can look at to help create community in your donors. The first one is the messenger effect. So in behavioral science, there's this idea that whoever's presenting your message carries enormous weight. So you could be listening to me right now. There could be something about my voice that's annoying you or something that you love. Or there could be some way that you're connecting or not connecting with me, but everybody's going to have somewhat of a different reaction to a messenger. What you can do is look back and see, and I like to ask this question to um, my clients, what are the top three or who are the top three messengers that you're using for your fundraising? And oftentimes, one of them is the head of the organization. Another one might be the head of the board. And then the third might get a little more creative. It might be somebody who in the population served. It might be someone who's a big donor. But I want you to look at those messengers and then think about who's actually donating. And does that is that person creating a connection? Sometimes that person who runs the organization is actually the last person that you want communicating the message because they're maybe the least known. And there's a few reasons why and this is, again, based in research, people connect with messengers, but some of the reasons are they reflect characteristics that are similar to the person. Another is that they're already known to them. So if there's someone who's always out there in your organization that everybody knows and loves, maybe that's the messenger you pick. There's also studies that show experts are carry a lot of weight as a messenger. So if you're an organization focusing on, let's say, homelessness, And you have an expert who's been studying the issue for years, that may be a better person to use than perhaps the head of your board, even though they might be a wonderful, devoted person. There's a lot out there about celebrities, but celebrities in some senses carry weight, especially if they're in person versus virtual. But in general, creating that connection, switching up your messenger, trying out different messengers, seeing which messengers get better effects can really help. So that's a pretty easy way for community. That's interesting. I think a lot of times people think that the messenger has to be the head of the organization or the head of the board or at least a board member. But you're saying it doesn't have to be that. It could be anybody, really, as long as they're sort of an effective messenger. That's more important than them being the the board chair. 
Exactly. And think about it. If a friend of yours is involved with an organization, so I have a friend who just joined an organization called Chick Mission. It raises funds for women's cancer. She just started getting very involved. She sent me the message. She told me her personal reason why. All of a sudden, it's on my radar. All of a sudden, I'm more likely to get involved because I feel a connection to her. I feel a connection to the community now. I've got some inside scoop. And it's made, again, back to the ask and task. She made it easy for me. She's teed it all up for me to donate. And so that's also why you've probably seen this rise or heard about the rise in what we call peer-to-peer fundraising, where people do the sponsor me for this race, do a GoFundMe page. So part of the reason that really works is because that personal connection and community goes far. So it doesn't have to be the power person in your organization. And that you you have to navigate some politics sometimes around that, but there's ways to do it. And also hearing the voice of whoever is being served by your organization is hugely powerful. I worked for a long time in an education reform organization on the program side and on the corporate volunteering side and on the fundraising side. And our students were some of the most powerful messengers, not just as fundraisers, but just to tell our story. Because like you said, there's anxiety around asking for money often. Mm -hmm. And the other last important piece I want to say about personal connection, I know we're all tapped out and we don't have a lot of time, but those quick interactions that aren't about money carry as much weight. And research has shown developing, putting in that time to develop those small connections unrelated to the ask is critically important. Yet, of course, hard to do in some ways because we're all time strapped, but it pays out in the end. Yeah, I love so much of what you just said. One, that it doesn't have to be the power person. But two, that, yeah, those small interactions where you don't ask for money are sometimes the most, right? And so what kind of strategies would you give people? Like, how could they really execute on that? Is there sort of a calendar for me to check in on people? Or is it just, should I just leave it to be more organic? That's a good question. And there's different ways. And I would say, first and foremost, what works best for you? So if creating a plan of a calendar and a monthly plan to interact with someone gives you enormous stress, back to that happiness factor, it's never going to work. So it has to be something that works for you and is manageable. But it could be. If you're somebody who likes to set calendar reminders and set up a schedule, that's a great idea. Another is to, and I've used this sometimes, make a list of the different types of interactions you could have with somebody, like sending a positive news article a piece of research related to what you're doing, a happy new year message. Yeah, I Um, love that. Yeah. Just, and then that could be a quick blast, nothing long, because we already know our attention's shorter than a goldfish. Yeah. (laughs) But that quick, the same way you feel if someone sends you a fast text, just to say, hi, how's it going? Thinking of you, walk by this sign, made me think of you, versus the super long text, how are you doing? What's going on? Where you feel stressed, you have to answer a million questions, you have to take time to read it, and then you just don't respond. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's powerful. That is so powerful. Uh, so Polly, tell me, what do you think we, you talked earlier about kind of things that we've learned from the pandemic and things that have changed. What have you learned from the pandemic in your work or clients that you work with? What do you think is here to stay? Well, I mean, there's so, the world is not the same, right? There's mm-hmm. so many things that have changed. So that's a good question and a big question. I would say in the world of fundraising, I do think we realize virtual carries power. You can do some really quick, really easy virtual fundraising, digital fundraising, like back to what I said, quick things on your phone, Zooms with people all over the country, connecting people that wouldn't normally be connected because their time is constrained. But I think what we also learn, and I've encouraged a lot of my clients, especially right at this moment, people are craving in person. So if you can give what feels like an authentic connection offline, 
and do it somehow in person, even if it's outdoors, if people aren't ready for indoor events, do it now and jump on it now. Because right now that fatigue that we saw before the pandemic where, oh, another dinner, oh, another awards banquet, oh, another knock on my door for this. That's gone. We're in this rare opportunity where you can be early on. Like You plan your event and build up some excitement about it, or you do something in person that's optional. You might see a greater turnout than ever before, but it's this sweet spot. And I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know a year from now what things will look like, but what I can tell you as a behavioral scientist and a fundraiser, the reemergence of in-person connection, I think will go a long way with your donor base. And I would say the other big thing that we probably learned is we had some time to reflect. And so I saw with a lot of fundraising organizations and nonprofits, this was the moment where we looked back, took a breath and said, what worked? What didn't work? What are our goals? What is our mission? And we should be doing that even if we're not locked and stuck in our house and not allowed to go outside. We should be doing this every so often because if you're going ahead and not really seeing what works and doesn't work in your fundraising and not reflecting and not saying, wait, who are our donors again? What data do we really have on them? Like we did when we all couldn't do much else. Then if we keep this practice up, we will all be more effective as fundraisers. That's a great question. Hey, Polly, this is fantastic. I just have a couple more questions for you. Sure. Thanks. So if you could tell nonprofits to focus on one thing for 2022, what would it be? So for 2022, my, and again, back to behavioral scientists, I would say experiment. This is the time to try new things. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear hold you back. Get to know those donors more. Send out, I love doing this one, send out two or three different versions of an email with a few pieces changed. I do a lot of experiments like this where I change a few key places. Maybe I'm highlighting the social impact and data in one. Maybe in another one, I'm highlighting the idea you're joining a community of donors. See which gets the greater response. Don't be afraid to try something different. Don't be afraid to reduce all the amounts and give one amount to donate at an event. But just all these creative ideas, we're in this new creative moment, be open to them. Be open to them. But if you do try new things, putting a different messenger out there, setting new goals, make sure you're measuring the results and make sure that you're collecting information so that you actually know if things worked or didn't work. But don't let fear hold you back. Don't let old habits hold you back. Be creative. Try something new. Be that spark for your organization to maybe go in a different direction. And if it doesn't work, be ready to pivot quickly, but don't be scared to try. No, that's so smart and it's great advice. Don't let fear hold you back. Don't be afraid to change old habits and don't be afraid to pivot. I think that is good advice for your nonprofit. That's good advice for life. Yes. (laughs) A lot of this is life lessons, right? (laughs) So you're so passionate about this. What made you start Community Spark Consulting? So I've actually been passionate about mission-based work for most of my life. So when I got out of college, I went that route of corporate. I was a management consultant. I was in public relations. But I realized like, I'd be working with my clients, designing websites back in the day when you had to design the websites through an agency. But I'd always be carving out time in my day to do the corporate volunteer program, to partner with the community organization. They'd be saying, Polly, where's the spreadsheet on the analytics? And I'm like, what about this spreadsheet of the community organizations we can do for volunteer day in me? So I eventually switched over. I worked for a long time 
at different nonprofits in New York City. But what really sparked me to start Community Spark is when I actually moved to Switzerland. I lived there for three years and I got there and I had to decide what was I doing next with myself? I couldn't work locally. And I looked around and philanthropy there had a whole different meaning. So people were extremely philanthropic, but it was extremely quiet. Corporate social responsibility wasn't big. Um, It was just a whole different way from the American philosophy. So that's where I started working and doing community spark consulting. I started working with clients abroad, which was fascinating. I encourage everybody like to try again that idea. Don't be fearful, try new things. And I started working with clients and broke down this idea of how we do philanthropy in the United States. And that's where I started to realize the relationship between happiness. I was in the midst of getting my behavioral science training. And I started to see there's this intersection, like I mentioned in the beginning in Europe, happiness is a huge thing. Philanthropy actually comes out of this idea that's part of you as a member of the community. It's a way to have a positive impact on your life and others. Yet it's not really publicized in the way we do it in the US. And so I saw this moment to take the two things, find the intersection between happiness, self-satisfaction, donor satisfaction, and are what we've really institutionalized and marketed out as a huge industry in the U.S., philanthropy. And then when I returned back to New York after my three years there, I realized my passion lied with really was focusing on smaller organizations. I started having people referring me to smaller organizations, to startups, to people who wanted to take it to the next level. And then I became very passionate about this idea of just sparking growth for other people as well. So it's been an interesting journey. I have no doubt that there's so much more I need to learn, but I've loved just this unique position I'm in where I get to think about happiness and positive energy and impact and community and relate that to the space that we're all in, which is doing good for others and social impact. That is awesome. Is there anything big for Community Spark Consulting in 2022? Let's see. There are some big things for Community Spark Consulting. So I'm hoping to launch a blog soon. I'm also looking at some new studies that I would like to work on. I have a couple clients coming around the bend, but I think the biggest things, I don't know if I mentioned in the beginning, I'm a professor as well. And so what I would like to do now is to start combining what I do in my classes, which is having my students work on social impact projects to learn communication and marketing skills and take that now out into the world. So I won't give too much about this, but launch a different version of my business that leverages what my students have done and places them with corporations to then go out and do some of this social impact work through internships, through knowledge sharing, through fundraising. So stay tuned. That's coming later in the year. And I'll have that coming out on my website soon. Oh, that is awesome. We will definitely stay tuned for that. And speaking of your website, how can people find you? Sure. So they can look for me at my site, which is www.comsparkconsulting, C-O-M-S-P-A-R-K, consulting.com. You can also find me under Polly Lagana on LinkedIn. And then I also do have a program where about once a quarter, maybe three times a year, I take on one smaller organization as a pro bono client. So there will be information that you can find on the website if you ever want to apply to be that pro bono client. Awesome. Do you have any social media channels that that you promote your business? I do Instagram sometimes. And then you can also find me. I have a LinkedIn page for Community Spark Consulting as well. Awesome. Hey, Polly, this has been fantastic. I'm so appreciative of your time here today. 
Thank you, Anthony. This was such a great conversation. And I look forward to talking more to you about this idea of happiness in philanthropy. Polly was great. I love her spark framework. I totally agree that meaningful relationships can be developed with quick, small interactions. There are a ton of resources on her website. I encourage you to go check it out. I included links to her website and resources in the show notes to this episode. To make sure you don't miss out on anything, go over to groupfinity.com and join the community by clicking subscribe. Also, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show, and please be sure to leave a rating and a review. Until the next episode, this is Anthony Wilson. Stay safe and be the leader that everyone wants to follow. Thanks for listening to the Groupfinity Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the host, head over to www.groupfinity.com.